Good evening, everybody. It is joy to once again be back here with you all. I hope for another opportunity to fellowship with you all one day when, by God's grace and mercy, he gets us on the other side of this pandemic and we can fellowship with masks on close to one another and get to know one another. So once again, thank you for thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, to sing with you and to sit underneath God's word with you this evening. So to that end, can we pray one more time and ask the Lord to meet us in his, in his word. Father, through your son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we crown you with many crowns. To have a heart, Father, that sees of your glory and sings of your wonder and sings of your splendor and sings with sing with a direction towards your glory father that is your work and we say thank you for it thank you for blessing us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ so father we come this evening whether here in the sanctuary or online with our hearts intent on worshiping you and though, Father, we have worshipped you in song, our worship service is not done yet. For now, we get a chance to sit underneath your word preached. So I pray that you would cause our hearts to wonder and cause our hearts, Father, to be in awe that you are a God who speaks to us. You've spoken to us in your word. You speak to us through your son, and we are now here to listen. Once again, Father, we must acknowledge that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. So grant us grace, Father, by your spirit to see wonderful things out of your word this evening. Help us to love Christ even more as a result of your word this evening. Build us and shape us into the image of your son through your preached word. Grant me grace to preach as one who has been sent to with an oracle from God and give us all ears to listen as we are hearing the very word of God preached. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. Well, last night I was freshly reminded of how important it is to be part of a community that's reading the Bible together, reading the Bible with one another, right? Addressed, got to turn my, there we go, addressed by the Lord of the scriptures through his scriptures together. Instead of being individualistic, instead of gravitating towards a lone ranger type of Christian that says, I can do this on my own, I can read God's word on my own. No, it was such a good thing last night to sing together and to listen to God's word together, to read it together. What ends up happening when we read God's word in community, we end up getting a chance to see what other people see in the text. We get a chance to see what we didn't see. And as a result, we are more Christ-like for that action. In other words, other people's sight end up becoming our sight. It's kind of like a parent who is pointing out a bird in a tree for his child to see. It's been 
great to see our little girls, my two little girls, grow up because as they've gotten older, we've taken walks around the neighborhood and it's been a joy to point them to something that they weren't able to see before. And it's like a cardinal. We have a cardinal in our backyard and a cardinal in the neighborhood. And often I see it and the girls don't see it yet. So what I tend to end up having to do is end up get down on their level and put my face up against their face and take their little finger with my hand and point to the bird and say, little Olivia or little Eden, see, see, right? And it's a joy as a parent when not only do I get a chance to see this beautiful bird in the tree, but I get to see the expression on my daughter's face when they see it. It's a joy not only to see, but it's a joy when we get a chance to enjoy what other people see as a result. Well, last night after we were done, Thomas helped me to see something. Now, rest assured, Thomas didn't take his face and put it up against my face, and he didn't take my hand and his hand and, and point out some things, right? But he still helped me to see something that I didn't see it all in this text. In other words, he was like, Lewis, check this out. He pointed something out to me from 2 Corinthians that not only did I not see, but more importantly, he helped me to see that a question arises that is crucial for us to deal with because it kind of seems like it points us to a seeming contradiction in the text. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians again. I want you to go to the first chapter. I want you to read verse or look at verse number 8 and verse number 9. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9, listen and notice what it says in your Bible. It says, We for, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is striking the way that Paul the Apostle is talking. He said we were underneath such an affliction that we hated life itself. It says indeed we felt that we have received the sentence of death. Now, we don't know what the story is behind these two verses. Scholars have comment, commented about what may be the possible story behind this affliction here. But that doesn't matter as it were. One possible reason why Paul maybe didn't go into the details to help us to see what's behind this such a great affliction that caused him to actually despair of life, one reason might be is because he didn't want the Corinthians to get lost in the details. In other words, to miss the forest for the trees. I mean, I know that we can be people who crave for the decadent details just to itch our nosiness. Platforms like TMZ satisfy this itch by bombarding us with push notification after push notification with breaking news like what's really going on with Kim and Kanye and who is the newest and the latest Karen. You know there's going to be another one that comes up. 
We lose interest, as it were, with other sources of information that don't do for us what maybe a TMZ might do. And when that happens, we actually miss out on what we are supposed to see. It's actually a good thing that Paul didn't give us details here. These two verses kind of have a universal feel to them. We don't have to succumb to the thought that since we don't know this situation exactly and entirely, we don't know Paul's situation, we don't have to come to the conclusion that we can't learn from this verse because we don't have the same situation going on in our life. Because we don't have the same difficulty going on in our life, then we can't learn from Paul. No, I'm glad Paul didn't attach this really clearly to a scenario because it helps me to see that if I'm in any scenario that looks like, feels like death, I can learn from what Paul is saying here. I can understand it. Have you ever been through something that caused you to nod your head in agreement? I'm going to say an amen, Paul. Yes, Paul. Have you been through something that causes you to nod your head in agreement when Paul wrote that he was so utterly burdened beyond his very strength that he didn't think he was going to make it? Have you been through something like that before? If you haven't, then keep on living. You keep on living, and you're going to come across something that's going to cause you to nod your head in agreement and say, Paul, I feel you. I feel exactly what you're saying here. Now, what we want to see here, though, is how in the world did Paul get from chapter 1, verse number 8 and 9 that we just saw, all the way to chapter 4, verse number 8, which we saw last night. How did he get there? How did he get there? In chapter 1, verse number 8, he says here that we, he and his crew, despaired of their very lives. Despaired of their lives. Now, wait a minute, Paul. Wait a second. Hold on for a minute. You said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, that you were perplexed, yes, but you weren't driven to despair. You weren't driven to despair. This seems to be a contradiction here. It almost seems like Paul is talking out of both sides of his mouth, as it were. On one side of his mouth, he tells us in verse chapter number one, verse number eight, that he despaired of life itself. And yet on the other side of the mouth, he says, yes, while we are perplexed, we are not driven to despair. Well, which one is it, Paul? Which, what is going on here? How can both of these things be true in the exact same letter? Seemingly, maybe at the exact same time. And here's another question is why is this question actually important for us today? Are we just nitpicking to try to find something in the text and say, oh, you said something here and you said something here differently and we need to figure it out. Why is this important for us here at this moment today? Well, I think if you were to ask Thomas that question, this is what he said to me yesterday, he would turn around and say that this question is important. Figuring out how Paul got from 1 verse 8, chapter 1 verse 8 over to chapter 4 verse 8 is important to us because sooner or later, you, we, all of us will find ourselves in a situation where we are despairing of life itself. And we in that day will want to know, Paul, how did you get from chapter 1 verse 8 over to chapter 4 verse 8? This question is important because we're going to find ourselves in a scenario one day where we have to make that leap 
also. How do you get from despairing of life itself all the way over to perplexed, yes, but not driven to despair? How do we get there? It wouldn't surprise me that someone listening right now, whether here in the sanctuary or online, is going through something that has you drowning in what makes you feel like a sentence of death, drowning in despair. Why? Once again, how do you grab onto the rescue tube and make your way back to the firm ground, the firm shore of perplexed, yes, but not driven to despair? I think the key to understanding that uh, understanding that we aren't dealing with any type of inconsistency here in Paul's theology is to recognize that these two statements, statement number one, we despaired of life itself, and statement number two, perplexed, yes, but not driven in despair, driven to despair. These two statements are not part of the same time zones, not part of the same time zones. Chapter 1, verse number 8 is in the time zone of the past. Look at it one more time. See if you see it. Paul told the Corinthians what happened to him. And he told the Corinthians what he learned as a result of what happened to him. Once again, look at chapter 1, verse number 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. We want you to know. We want you to know of the afflictions that we experienced past tense. We want you to know about this. We want you to know what happened to us, what we experienced. The question is, then what did the experience teach him? This is important because you know experience, for those who are wise, teaches us some things. Teaches us some things. We probably can have a real good conversation in just in this room alone with us about some of the lessons you have learned in your life through experience. What experience have added to your knowledge of how things go? Well, Paul tells us what he learned as a result of this experience. Chapter 1 again, verse number 8 through 10. says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers of and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He says, For we... We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we have received the sentence of death. But, but, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? Paul is saying, hey, Corinthians, listen, we had one interpretation on what was going on for this a moment, right? When we were in this affliction, our interpretation of it was that this is a death sentence for us. This affliction is going to kill us. This trouble is going to take us to the grave. That was what we thought was going on when we were knee deep in the middle of this affliction that burdened us to such a degree. We learned, though, we learned by that experience that the correct interpretation for what happened to us was something entirely different. This affliction and trouble was not sent to kill us literally. It was sent to kill our self-reliance. 
Now, this tendency, you all know what self-reliance is. It's this tendency that we have on the inside of ourselves to rely on our own strength, uh, to put on, to put confidence in our own selves, right? Whether we know it or not, the cultural air that we breathe in day in and day out is captured in this phrase, you got this. You got this. You got it. You can do it. You have all that it takes to get the job done. You, in and of yourself, have all that it takes to be happy, to change your circumstance, to live your best life now, to capture your own dream, to succeed beyond your wildest imaginations, to handle your own problems and do so perfectly and to thrive like no other human has ever thrived. One person said it like this, that everything you need is already within you, within you. Everything you need is already within you. It's in the air that we breathe. So in other words, since everything you need is already within you, then be you, but be only better. A greatness lies within you, so be spectacular. One person said it like this, that the beauty of life is that your destiny lies always in your hands. The time has come for you to step up and be great. And if you really want to see, though, what a sentence of death feels like, then don't learn from Paul's experience here in 2 Corinthians and spend the rest of your life trying to rely on yourself. If you really want to know what a sentence of death feels like, spend the rest of your life trying to put confidence in your own goods, confidence in your own strength. Paul learned that the affliction was not a sentence of his death. It was a sentence of death for his self-reliance, for the confidence that me, he might have had in himself that probably said something to the effect when the affliction came about, like, okay, I can handle this. I got this. But as the affliction kept on hitting him with blows and blows and blows and blows, and he kept on losing strength and strength and strength and strength. He got to a point where he realized he was out of strength. And he realized, I can't rely on myself to handle whatever this problem is in my life. Right? So then, I guess the next natural question would be, since we are going to, we are going to put our confidence in something. That's what we do. We're going to put our trust in something. The question then is, if we don't put it in ourselves, then where should we put our confidence? Verse number nine, chapter one again. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves. <laughs> this affliction was, was meant to help us see that we are not to rely on ourselves, that we are not to, to, to trust in ourselves, that we are not to put confidence in ourselves, but on God. This affliction came into our lives so that we would not rely on ourselves, but rely on God. But that we would not trust in our own resources, but trust in his resources. That we would not put confidence in ourselves, but put confidence in God. Why is it not a bad idea, brothers and sisters, to rely on God? 
Well, the answer is for the same reason why you all here in the sanctuary, and I'm assuming people at home sitting out watching this, are relying on the chair or on the pew that you are sitting on at this very moment. I mean, I know you didn't think twice about that chair when you sat down in it. And inherent in the chair or inherent in the pew is the strength and the power to hold you up and in some of these cases, hold multiple of yous up in the same pew, as it were, right? I, I got here right on time before the service started because of tra traffic, but one thing I didn't see is I didn't see any one of you all in this sanctuary inspecting the pew to make sure it was going to hold you up. I didn't see anybody in here saying, okay, let me make sure that the pew is good and I'm going to be able to sit down. No, every single one of us in here, when it was time to sit down in the pew or sit down in the chair, sat down in it, believing that it was able to hold us up. In like manner, inherent in the personhood of God is strength and power that makes it the most right thing in all of the universe to put your confidence in. It's the most right thing in all of the universe to do is to put your confidence in the one who has power to hold you up. Paul communicates why it is right to rely on God, right? He tells us here, why should I rely on God? We mentioned it yesterday. You want to see power? He, the Lord, God, our Father in Christ, he is the one who raises from the dead. Oh, it's right to put your confidence in the one who has power to raise people from the dead starting with his son do you think he's able to hold you up if he was able to after three days cause his son to rise as one who's defeated the grave <laughs> paul continues his lesson learned in verse number 10 he said he delivered us from such a deadly Peril. And Paul says, we didn't deliver ourselves. We didn't save ourselves. He delivered us. He's the one that saved us. And then peek this out. This is wonderful. And not only has he delivered us, listen to how faith talks, but he will deliver us again. <laughs> not only has he done it in the past, but he's going to do it again in the future. We can bank on it. If he did it before, he'll do it again. The same God right now in the middle of your affliction is the same God back then, Paul is saying to the Corinthians. John Piper calls this, this faith that knows that since God has done something in the past, he'll do it in the future. He calls this faith, faith in future grace. If you haven't read that book from Pastor John, I highly recommend it for it too. He writes this, future grace is all that God gives us of his help and of himself from this moment on all the way into eternity. Right? That's what future grace is. Future grace is all that God gives his children in Christ. All of his help in all of himself from this moment on all the way into eternity, right? Why do we put faith in future grace, future help, future deliverance? Well, 
because he gave us grace in the past. Romans 8, think verse number 32. Don't quote me on the verses, Romans 8. Romans 8, Paul says, if God did not spare his son for you, but gave him up for us all, how would he not with him give us all things? <laughs> that is a stunning promise right there. I, my heart has not drank deeply of that promise because sometimes I'm not even in awe of that. I should never lose the wonder of what he just said in Romans 8. If God has given to us his son, which is a greater the lesser principle. If he's already given us his son, how will he not with him give us all things? Deliverance was in his son. If he's done that, how will he not deliver you now? This is what Paul is saying to us. He did it before, he'll do it again. Piper again, he says this, if he did the past grace, then surely he will do the future grace. Does anybody in here or listening have a testimony of tasting God's past grace in your life? Right? Has he been good to you in the past? Has he delivered you in the past? Has he kept you in the past? Well, guess what, brothers and sisters? He's going to keep you today and in the future. He's already stamped that as done in his son. So Paul turns around and he tells us, he says, he delivered us and he will deliver us again. And as a result, on him, on the Father, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So, chapter 1, verse number 8, we despaired of life itself, was a past lesson in a past time zone that taught Paul not to rely on himself, but on God. And this lesson, like a bridge, took Paul from the past time zone of chapter 1, verse number 8, to the present time zone of chapter 4, verse number 8. Why can Paul now say, now say, in chapter 4, verse number 8, perplexed, yes, we're not going to front. We're in a situation that's perplexing. Perplexed, yes, but not driven to despair. But not driven to despair. Perplexed, yes, but no, not driven to utter despair. How did he get that? He learned his lesson well. His past lesson of chapter 1, verse number 8, prepared him well for when the present moments in life brought another affliction and another perplexity to his table. He realized back then that faith in God who raised us from the dead moves a person from despairing of life itself over to perplexed, yes, but not driven to despair. Right? I mean, how can we actually despair when we rely on a God who does impossible things like raise the dead? This is how we do it. Every last one of us in this room are in one of three places in life. Heard a preacher say this one time. We are either coming out of a fiery trial that might have felt like a death sentence, or we at this very moment may be in a fiery lake of despair because of some trouble, or 
we may be on our way into an affliction that will feel like death. And brothers and sisters, if you are at this moment, right now, in some sort of affliction, some sort of perplexity, some sort of despair, if that's where you are right now, how will you move from feeling like this trouble is going to undo you over to being able to say, yes, I'm at a loss, but I'm not lost. Yes, it doesn't feel good right now, but I'm not lost. Yes, I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm not lost in despair. And Paul would say to us, brother and sister, if that's you today, you must have faith in God. You must rely on, put your confidence in the one who raises from the dead because we have a powerful father who is exactly what we need for us in perplexing times. The problem is, though, if your heart is like my heart, my feelings get in the way. Anybody's feelings ever gotten in the way before? You find yourself in an affliction and your feelings just don't feel like trusting God. You just don't feel like coming to church. You don't feel like opening up your Bible. You don't feel like having somebody else open up the Bible. You don't feel like listening to somebody yet again tell you that you must trust in God. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like taking communion. You don't feel like sharing Jesus. You don't feel like doing any of that type of stuff. Part of my testimony includes being fired from my first ministry job. I was a youth pastor at a mega church in Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. I had the uh, a youth pastor's job, a dream job. I was one, uh, a couple of months out of uh, a, grad, a, a ministry school that I graduated from. And I went from this two-year ministry school to being part of a youth ministry that had over 400 kids, teenagers, 400, 500 teenagers. Well, we had all type of fun. We had all type of resources. It was my dream job at that moment. And out of the blue, the pastor of that church fired me for no reason whatsoever outside of the fact that he wanted to go in a different direction. Come to find out that there was some church politics going on there and I find myself on the other end of being of losing my youth pastor job I can't tell you how much that hurt my soul I can't tell you how much it hurt if you ever uh, saw old school movie Indiana Jones uh, there's a scene in Indiana Jones Temple of Doom if I remember correct where one of the characters reaches inside of the chest of another character and pulls that person's heart out. And I tell people that is exactly what that experience felt like. I can't think of another experience that felt like that to date in my life. My natural father has not hurt me to the degree that I felt hurt by that pastor for firing me the way he did. And for six to eight weeks, I didn't feel like doing anything spiritual. I didn't open up the Bible. I didn't go to church. I wasn't trying to hang out with my Christian friends. I definitely wasn't trying to pray. I just sat around in my apartment, sat around staring off into the distance. 
What do you do when your feelings get in the way? Your feelings become king and queen of your affliction. Your feelings are the one that tells you what you're going to do and how you should interpret it and determine everything. One person calls this feelism. Your feelings are king and queen of your life, and they determine everything. Martin Luther has this poem about feelings. He says this, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart shall feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. One of the quickest things that may come to our mind when we find ourselves in a scenario where we are despairing in life is just to stop doing all things spiritual for our good. To stop doing all things that are connected with our relationship with God. To stop going to church. Stop getting into the word. Stop hanging out with your other fellow brothers and sisters. Stop praying. Stop fasting. It's the first thing that comes to my mind. I wonder if it comes to yours. So Paul once again would turn around and say, when you find yourself in that scenario, eyes of your heart have to lift itself off of your feelings and look at the one who raises the dead. In other words, you have to get back into the word and get back into the Bible because faith is the only thing that takes you from chapter one, verse eight in the middle of despair over to chapter four, verse number eight. You may ask, well, then how is it that I grow in faith? And I have one pastor that says it like this. How do we grow in faith, particularly when we're in the midst of affliction? How do we grow? If faith is a thing that takes us from 1-8 to 4-8, what do I do if my faith doesn't feel like it's actually flourishing at this moment? One person said it like this. In that moment, you do all that is necessary. You call all other people that you need to call to encourage you to do so. You do whatever is necessary to read the Bible. Where you are waiting for something spectacular, this is an ordinary means of grace. You find yourself back in the text so you can remind, you can be reminded of your great God. When I was in week seven of this depressive state of being fired, it was the word of God that pulled me through. I woke up one morning and I said, hey, you know what? A thought came to my mind. I should read the Bible today. I wasn't thinking about it before I went to sleep and I wasn't particularly in the mood. The thought came to my mind, you should read. And this fight happened in my soul because a part of me, does this happen to you? A part of me wanted to read and a part of me didn't want to read. 
this fight was so intense in my own soul that I actually was like speaking to myself out loud in my apartment like, nah, brother, you're going to read the Bible today. I don't care what you do. You can open up the back and look at the maps for all I care, but you're going to open this book today. <laughs> Y'all have laughed at me if you'd have seen me because I'm just talking to myself like, you're going to read the Bible. And through the book of Hebrews, man, the Lord showed me his power. That's for another story. But you read the Bible. That's how we grow in faith. You pray the Bible, right? You take what you read and you say, Father, I'm not feeling this at this moment. Help me to know and to trust and rely on you who raised the dead. Get me from chapter 1-8 to chapter 4-8. You sing the Bible. You find yourself singing words of scripture. I love the songs that we sung tonight. Helps us to sing truth, right? You see the Bible. It means you come to church, particularly when your body, your local assembly is celebrating the Lord's Supper. Because when you pick up that bread and you pick up that drink, you are seeing the gospel right there. These are means of grace that helps us to help us to grow in the word. See the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, read the Bible, and preach the Bible. In other words, in closing... What we need to do in moments of affliction is that we need to see Jesus. We need to see him. That's what we need. We need to see Jesus. We need to see him every day. We definitely need to see him when we find ourselves in affliction. See him by faith in his word. And that's exactly what the book of Hebrews tells us. Again, I told Pastor Jung that I was hoping to spend time in Hebrews, but the message went in a different direction. But I'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what Paul says here in chapter 11. He has just gone through the hall of faith. All of these examples that we can look at are those who by faith were commended by God. And then he starts off or he ends this list of the hall of faith with the greatest person of faith, Jesus. Notice what he says in chapter 12, verse number one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin, which clings so closely. And then brothers and sisters, hear this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Is your race that is set before you at this moment hard? Is your race filled with perplexity? Is your race right now that you are running at this moment, is it set forth with affliction and adversity? Notice what it tells us. Let us run with endurance whatever race is set before you at this moment in your life. How? How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right-hand throne of God. I pray that our time tonight was helpful to think about this major question, in my mind, for my soul at least, how did Paul get from a place of saying he despaired and hated his life because of this affliction all the way over to this place where he was like, yes, I'm perplexed, but I'm not at a loss. It's by faith in God who raised Jesus from the dead. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that during this time of hearing from your word that your spirit did work in hearts 
work, Father, that is not possible for any preacher or pastor to do. The spirit, your powerful spirit is able to take your word and plant it into the deep crevices of our heart and to cause change. And I pray that he did that during our preaching. And I pray that he would continue to do that as we move along. Help us to be reminded of your word, that you are the one that we are to place our confidence in. So, Father, when we are tempted to trust in ourselves, help us to see that ourselves, we are like a seat that's made of paper machete. If we try to sit on it, it would, it would never work. But you are the one who is powerful to be relied upon. Help us to see Jesus and to know him as the living Christ, the one whom you raised from the dead and through whom you will raise everybody in Christ from the dead. So I pray that your word would do, continue to do work and encourage souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, stand together and then we'll sing um, about the faithfulness of God. have uh, a little bit of time to pray because God spoke to us and he um, gave us his word and so we want to respond with just a, a few minutes of prayer in response to his word and um, uh, I mean you can stand or you can be seated whatever is more comfortable for you but as Pastor Lewis was sharing the word with us uh, I was just reminded that um for people that God called out of darkness into his wonderful light, um, you know, and then he brings us into his church. Um, like he doesn't, uh, like he like he doesn't call people who are able to figure out the per perplexities of life, you know? That's not the criteria that he uses um, for calling us to be in the church. Oh, you're smart, so why don't you be a part of my church so that you can help solve these problems in the world and help me to spread the gospel. It doesn't work like that. Um, but one thing that we do see that we're reminded of through this text is that uh, God calls people who are willing to suffer with him for the sake of the gospel. And that's what we see, right? Like when Jesus says, you know, gates of Hades will not prevail over my church. He says, I'm going to go to the cross. And if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and carry your cross too. So it seems like that's kind of the thing that he's calling us to. Are you willing to uh, suffer with me? And, uh, you know, we see that again in Romans 8. Um it's it's the true heir the, the true heirs the true children of God are the ones who are willing to suffer uh, with Christ for the sake of the gospel and uh, so I just kind of feel like maybe God is speaking to us 
and uh, with all the hardships in our lives, whether it was present, past, or even like it's coming right around the corner, you just don't know yet, you think everything's good, but it's coming right around the corner, um, God is speaking to us and saying, um, uh, are you willing to carry on the, um, the, the family tradition, the family of God tradition of suffering in this world, which is now your home? Uh, because for some mysterious reason, that's how God works uh, to advance the gospel in our hearts. And that's how God works to advance the gospel in this world through the suffering of his people. So, so he's speaking to us in this moment. Are you willing to carry the cross, to follow me? And, um, and, he, and he weeps with us. Uh, he, he understands uh, our feelings. He sees every tear. Uh, but still, our, our God who sent Jesus to die on the cross says, are you willing to suffer too for the sake of the gospel? So it's just for a few moments, let's respond to that question um, and let's respond in faith uh, and, uh, um, you know, just even get to that sense of privilege that God is calling me to carry on the, the, the family name, uh, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ through my suffering. So whether you're here at, or at home, let's just pray for a few moments and respond to God's word in that way. You can be as you are, and you can continue to pray if you'd like. Um, but otherwise, you can stand together and let's sing together this song, Is He Worthy? And it reminds us that He is worthy of anything that I can go through in this life uh, because, you know, anything that I, I do is for the sake of Jesus who, who gave His life for me on the cross. So let's sing about that. So it's the plan. We'll pray for one more thing. We'll sing one more song, and then we'll finish. Um, but I thought it was appropriate, very appropriate, that Pastor Lewis ended with the application of the need to be in his word, um, to get out of whatever despair, for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, in whatever the despair may be, that we need to be in his word. And that's probably, in all honesty, that's probably the... Uh, problem with many of us right now, especially during the pandemic, with uh, lack of community and lack of accountability left to ourselves. A lot of time, a lot of different options. Probably uh, the the reluctance, the feelings to do other things, reluctance to go to His words. Probably one of the um, hindrances that we have to intimacy with God. And just like you said, like Paul's not really clear. In terms of what the despair is so the despair can apply to us in many different ways like it can just be you just sitting at home and being bored all the time and to you maybe that's the state of despair uh, not being able to go out and do things or see people or have a, a quote-unquote normal life and um, uh, but again the principles apply maybe God is bringing us to those kinds of situations so that we can be broken of our self-reliance so that we can trust him more and learn to fall on his grace in times of mundaneness when the despair might not be acute but it's just low level we're not doing great but just low level i just feel kind of blah 
And again, in all of those situations, I think God is calling us uh, to himself through his word. So can we pray for that, for that application? Whatever your despair might be, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, um, let's pray. And pray these things that we heard into our hearts, that he has provided a way, uh, that he is calling us out of self-reliance into God-reliance, that he has provided us his word and wants to speak to us and bring us into a different place through his future grace. All the different things that we heard, let's, um, let's uh, you know, saturate it into our hearts through prayer and asking God to use um, our times in his word, whether tonight, tomorrow, you know, whatever it might be, to bring us out into uh, a more of an intimacy with him. So let's pray for that for, for a moment. You know, I'm just really encouraged by this weekend. And, uh, you know, compared to our normal retreats, like we didn't have, you know, usually like we pray a lot longer um, and uh, we do a lot more things. Uh, and so in that sense, di it's different. But just even through the message that we heard last night and tonight, I feel very encouraged because I feel like God is, uh, like for me, I feel like God is encouraging me on. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, a lot of reasons to um, doubt, despair, you know, circumstances around us, in our world, um, even within the church. Just There's a lot of reasons to feel like you don't really feel a lot of, uh, uh, um, you know, I don't know, just reasons or momentum to move forward. At least, you know, when we're gathering together, people getting excited, people getting blessed, and you get assurances and things like that. But, I mean, we've been in, in this lockdown for a while, and um, uh, it's just it's, it's just a lot easier to feel kind of discouraged in that kind of situation but I feel really encouraged I feel like God is uh, assuring me to continue to move forward um, I feel like he's saying he's gonna do it it's his it's his church it's his work and um, he's provided the way he's provided all the resources and means for us to move forward um, and uh, he's calling us to trust in our faithful God so I'm sure you can identify with that on a personal level and the different things that you're going through. So I'm really thankful for even this weekend. It's just a short weekend, um, short meetings, but our God is the same, and he's with us, and he's assuring us, um, and we can have confidence in him. Okay, so so through, with this last song, let's just it's a song of commitment, um, and... Uh, I, I still want to be in the word. I still want to be faithful to you. I want to become like Christ. And, and uh, when we give ourselves to the Lord like that, we know he's going to use us. Okay, so we'll sing this last song. And then after this song, I'm going to ask Pastor Lewis again, pray for us and, and um, just uh, close our meeting. And, and then also, we, just like yesterday, 
we'll just have some time to pray for one another before we wrap up in, in our Zoom rooms. Okay? Father, what a song to end on. I pray that you would strip from our hearts any fear that may rise up when we sing. If more of your son means less of us, then Father, take everything. It's one thing to sing that, Father. Oh, would we sing from a heart that yearns for that more and more, whatever that means. Father, your word tells us that perfect love casts out fear. There's any fear in hearts to sing that wholeheartedly. Father, would you open up our eyes to behold the glory of your son? We need to see his beauty. Would we be like the apostle Paul who turns around and he speaks and he boasts of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ? The incomparable riches that are found in him. Father, we need more of your son. My heart needs to see more of him. So to that end, Father, as we close tonight, would you continue to work that which is well-pleasing in your sight? Would you continue to work in us, Father, both to will and to do of your good pleasure? And your good pleasure is trusting in your son. So help us, Father. We're weak. We're frail. We're earthen vessels. You know our frame. You even know our thoughts from a way off. Our only hope is in you. So work to the end of our good. Work to the end of your glory. Magnify yourself. Magnify yourself through my dear brothers and sisters in this local church. Father, with this local church be a light in the midst of darkness on this campus. Let this local church, Father, be a place where it is known that there are folks who are so satisfied in your son that wholeheartedly they can cry out, Father, if it takes more, if it takes more of, if it takes less of us to know more of your son, take everything. So be exalted, Father. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for our time together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.